0: Welcome to the Day Beautiful podcast feed. This is the first taste reading series, where each week I invite an author to read from their new book and answer a few short questions. You can find Day Beautiful on the internet at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. Today's guest is the author of the story collection, Show Them a Good Time. She is the winner of the Kate O'Brien Prize, the London Magazine Prize for Debut Fiction, and the White Review Short Story Prize. Her work has appeared in numerous publications, including The Guardian, The White Review, and The London Review of Books. She's a graduate of the master's program in creative writing at Trinity College, Dublin. She currently lives in Galway, Ireland. Her debut novel, Nothing Special, is out now. Please welcome Nicole Flattery. Hey, Nicole. How are you doing today?
1: Good. I'm warm. Um, (laughs) I'm tired of the summer in Ireland already, but I'm good.
0: I have been to Ireland once. It was in 2008, 2009. Yeah. So a very long time ago. I'm sure it's changed. But I had a lovely time while I was there. It was great.
1: Oh, I'm I, glad you had a good time.
0: Yeah. Um, your book, Nothing Special, will be out by the time this podcast is out. Uh, but tell readers uh, who may not have discovered it yet or who are just discovering it, what what it's about from your perspective.
1: So uh, Nothing Special is a novel. Said partly um in two thousand and ten, and then partly in well mostly in Andy Warhol's factory, and it's about two typists um all about the life of mainly one typist called May and a uh, friendship she strikes up with another typist called Shelley as they work together to type up um, an actual book um Andy Warhol's a a novel um so yeah that's what about that's what it's about
0: definitely and what part of the book will you be reading for us today
1: i'm gonna read from the start um
0: (laughs) nicole flattery nothing special
1: thank you this chapter is called beautiful town and it's set in 2010 my mother had a book she liked to read to me as a child she must have discovered somewhere that it's good to educate your child She must have encountered that fact amongst a haze of other facts at the time. She might have even once seen a mother and daughter on a bench working their way through the pages of a book, the mother pausing only to kiss the daughter on the forehead. They probably looked like they were having the best time of anyone on the planet. This was the type of image that would have obsessed and overwhelmed her. I think she got it in a gift shop. It had that sort of sheen, the invariable pleasantness of the gift shop. In the book, there were different types of farm animals with various attributes listed alongside them. I guess my mother felt sort of bad about raising me in a city amidst noise and crime. The graffiti scrawled everywhere, signalling mass discontent. The farm arrived late. I was much too old for the book. I understood that even then. I was at the age where I was starting to become aware of the many unconventionalities of our lives. Our family arrangement, our dreary rattling apartment, the aura that seemed to engulf us as a trio, the diner, our dirty and sombre street. My father wasn't around and even if he had been, my mother insisted he wouldn't have had any interest in reading. He wasn't smart. She wasn't embarrassed by this. Why do the men she slept with have to be smart? That's vanity, my mother declared. She believed many things to be vanity, like you need to be smart to point at a page. So I never got to know my father. And he never got to know the book in which sheep took on existential qualities. They appeared sinister to me whenever my mother and I sat on the floor together. There was something happening under their dry, calm, frolicking. If it was late, if my mother had been drinking a lot, a lot of what she said was unpredictable. She often pointed at a cow and said, that's a sheep. A sheep, I repeated. I knew it was dangerous to correct her. I knew in my heart that it wasn't a sheep. A sheep would have had a halo of fuzz encasing its cartoon body. The accused animal stared out of the pages as if to say, I've done nothing wrong. It was one of my happiest memories. My mother's presence and undivided attention was special, irresistible. I think that everyone felt that way around her. I liked being close to her soft face, watching her gentle frown lines, her breath sweeping my ears. She whispered lies, silence, nothing, my mother's trembling hands turning the pages and she pointed another animal. A donkey, maybe, and say, that's a sheep. A sheep, I repeated. I went along with all of it. I did until the end. Whenever I was in my mother's retirement village, they sometimes called it a village as if they were all careening down country lanes on bicycles. And a nurse inquired what my mother and I had been talking about. I simply said, sheep, this is the type of tepid, pointless humor I bring to my daily life now. Where I've lived for the last three decades, it's not about which. We don't have those sorts of desires. It's more of a matter of corresponding. I'm having an ordinary day like you. My thoughts are as standardised as yours. The laughs are chased here. In the mid-90s, when my mother and I still weren't speaking, I became fixated on the farm book. I was having some personal problems, which, like all difficult people, I believe could be traced directly back to my relationship with my mother. Was I caring enough? Was I responsible? The answer to both of these questions was no and it was probably because my mother had read to me enough as a child. Then I remember the farmyard book. The internet was newly available to me and I searched for information. Eventually I emailed the publishing com- company Responsible. I considered this a highly productive act, a spiritual mission, and I thought I owed it to her. People were still getting to grips with email then. There were articles and magazines I subscribed to. How to send an email, how to receive an email etiquette, helping us to learn a language we didn't yet understand. Say hello, kiss somebody's ass, say goodbye, all best. Computers still sat frat and white in front of rooms where the owners could keep an eye on them. I knew the keyboard instinctively. I like to think we recognised each other at once. I think at first the publishing company were alarmed by the amount of emails I sent. Every five minutes or so, a new email burst out of me, like a shrieking mechanical bird from a cuckoo clock. A new idea, a new vision. I could only picture the recipient of my emails as a girl in her early twenties, no older. I imagined her with a neat desk, combed hair, more sophisticated than I was at that age, a healthy freckle complexion from an educational trip to Europe. All of this effort, belying lying in time, internal disorder, a gloomy impatience. I told her that my mother had adored the Farmyard book. I never knew where she acquired it. I deliberately used the word acquired to set the tone. Acquired? This new language made everything sound hollow. In my second email, I asked what year the Farmyard book had been published and who had been involved. In my third email, I argued that it wasn't strange for a person to love a book. The makers of the farmer Book were they still alive? Couldn't have known the spell they were going to cast to my proud mother's heart when they grouped the animals together in this particular formation, when they dreamt those warm-faced sheep and set them down. In those days, the days of my emailing, I felt the emptiness of my apartment like a punch. I'd had a number of worthwhile relationships in my life, but now I couldn't fall in love like I used to. What was there to do instead? What to do with all that energy and focus? Collecting? Shopping? There seemed to be a lot of rooms in my home and I had a desire to fill them all. My possessions would smile at me with a new camaraderie. While I waited for a reply to my emails, I visited websites that were designed to appeal to me and an easily seduced woman in her mid forties. I guess I didn't know what to do with my time. I'd lost control of that. I needed furniture that I could maneuver around the room for hours. I needed appropriate trousers and clauses to sit and type in. It was essential that I look like a typist grey, unforgiving and forgettable, a role I'd once played so effectively. I kept at this project for a number of weeks. I estimated that I sent over 200 emails, most of them containing unasked for information. I explained that my mother had worked in a diner down the street from our apartment. Her life had been limited in that respect, not that her work made her some receptacle for sympathy. I had learned in one particular garrulous email a day in my mother's life. I was highly detailed. I had told them about her insatiable taste for coffee. She always bought some of the store downstairs to drink on her way to work. She made another pot in the diner, a perk of her job, and drank that throughout the day. She smoked constantly. One evening, I told them that the thief in the diner had cut my mother's face with a pocket knife. She was hysterical about it. I walked in and Mikey, the man we lived with, cleaning her face with a dirty, dirty dishcloth. Like a lot of people, she didn't love her job and complained often unsavory types squeezing all over her touching her men used to jump the counter wring her little neck and the following week she'd serve the exact same people as if nothing had happened she could only do this because as she told me and Mikey she had a greater understanding of human frailty than the average person she called the customers her poor souls what else? I didn't know because I was no longer sure if what I remembered was my mother's life or the life of a different woman a woman who once worked in a diner in a movie my mind felt that porous there were so many images that were familiar but my mother was tetchy so the number of things she liked were easy to categorize she liked the unique solitude of the diner after she closed up at night and she liked the farmyard book i imagined a young woman reading these emails the emails about my guilt about how i treated my mother about the fractures in our relationship and slipping on her coat walking to the subway in the dark thinking about all the things she had to do her endless list hundreds of things my correspondence disappearing like a hallucination. Perhaps she was new to the city and it was opening up to her like a dream. All that noise, the allure of strangers, the heat.
0: Thank you so much for reading uh, from your book. You previously yeah. released a short story collection and I always ask this whenever someone has a collection and then a full-length mm-hmm. novel or vice versa. Yeah. Um, how do you go about approaching a short story versus a novel uh what Mm -hmm. translates what doesn't translate
1: yeah 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 that's good because it actually took me a long time to um learn that (laughs) (laughs) And i went from Uh writing this book to um from the first book i think you know um there's something I, i actually was i've just started work on a not just started but i've been working on a new novel that initially started as a story And i thought this was going to be a story and it's uh, there's something about the way it's kind of stretched out and how interested i am in the characters that i think Mm -hmm. separates it from a story because i I still enjoy writing stories but stories to me feel like a very particular um for a very like explosive um part of time you know you can really Mm go in and do something, you know, and um, that you can't you can't always do in a novel. And what you can do in a story that is like you can just capture the weirdness of someone's mind and how they think you can really, really go into that, um, which I really enjoy. Um, but a novel requires a little bit more discipline um, and mm-hmm. a little bit more a little bit more hand holding. Um and, and yeah, the that novel is longer, isn't it? <laughs> that was <laughs> something I thought I was writing this. I was like, it is longer.
0: <laughs> yeah you mentioned this started as an idea for a short story was mm-hmm. um what was the genesis did you was or like why the warhol factory mm-hmm. why like how did yeah, it yeah. all come to come together
1: well there's like kind of a number of reasons um the first one was I, I i read about um a in olivia lang's a lonely city and i thought it sounded like an interesting book um i read it it's a really hard book to read um but I was sort of interested in, before I became interested in Warhol, um, I was, and I've never been like a huge fan. I'm a big fan of the films, um, the Warhol films um, mm-hmm. that he made. But, uh, you know, I wasn't someone who was like dedicated to him as a teenager. I, I've done a lot of readings now and women and men have come up to me and, and, and like, I, I loved, you know, this mm-hmm. kind of work teenager. But what really interested me is, The idea that, you know, you could work on something and these girls, you know, they did work on this book um, and their names just didn't get anywhere near it, you know, when they had Mm -hmm. no claim ownership um, over it. And even though that the book is set in the 60s, I feel like that's an extremely modern idea and like becoming perhaps like even more modern, like I feel as sort of, you know, as as creative work becomes devalued, um, I think that you know, like the idea of a director going in to see a cut of their film, not recognizing it, or, you know, people coming in and changing things and everything getting sort of like a little bit, like, dehumanized, um, then it was just, an because to me, like, just someone who does, who writes books and things, like, the idea of, like, you know, I could write a terrible book that would be, like, <laughs> slated everywhere, but, you know, it would still have my name on it, It could still prove that I did it, you know, I, I put mm-hmm. it out into the world, the idea that, that you wouldn't have that was struck me as a very kind of sad, sad notion, but I, I'm interested in work of, of all types. um, And I, I write, I write often about work and, and particularly like kind of unpaid work um, mm-hmm. and work that people aren't particularly interested in. And also, you know, I, I kind of just wanted to explore the idea of genius in, particularly male genius and all the people that prop that up, you know, the whole kind of system that supports that idea of the one highly talented individual. Um, So, yeah, there was a number of different reasons.
0: Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And as you continue to write the book, as you're learning um, from, you know, short story collection Mm -hmm. or short stories to novel, what was, what was like the, the hardest part of figuring out nothing special,
1: like plotting yeah. characters, whatever. I mean it's so funny because now you know you get to go and you do your little kind of victory lap and you pretend everything yeah. very easy and you were super cool doing all of it. No, I was insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like I found uh you know, with anything you write, it's the voice, like and I I I'm a big rewriter and I I rewrote a lot of this and it took me a couple of drafts and I particularly remember rewriting this opening section a lot to be like, who is she? And I need to find out kind of who she is. And throughout May is like a sort of slippery character. Um, and, you know, you, you think you've got a hold of her, you don't. Like, she's someone, you know, like any teenager, trying on a lot of different stuff, trying on a lot of just different personalities and things. So I was trying to get a hold of that. But for me, like, yeah, I think I always write and, uh, you know, it's sort of good advice for someone writing whatever. I, I always think you should write for what you read for. Mm-hmm. And I read, you know, I want to something that sounds like nobody else or it sounds original or it sounds like someone talking to you and you, you're, you're kind of trying to get, get closer to it. Um, So, yeah, I, I, th- I think it was, I think it was getting May's kind of voice. And then also, you know, the, the question of the tapes themselves, that took a little while, like how I was going to, to do that mm-hmm. um to transcribe that or to show the you know like the process of transcribing is not like it's isn't a hugely dramatic action so like I had to figure out ways to to do that but it was all it was all fun I think <laughs> partly partly fun I think yeah. that you know <laughs> I'm working on a new book now and like like it's presenting itself with like you know your, your its own set of problems and I, mm-hmm. I, I'm like how is this and how like go back and show this and and you know, it's amazing how much work your sort of unconscious does. And I, I swear by it, you know, if you 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 have to put it there and you have to be thinking about it, but like someday you'll sit down the desk and you'll be like, I know how to do this. And it's 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 kind of incredible. It's the best part of writing, it's the only yeah. good part. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You mentioned uh writing for what you like to read. What are some reading habits of yours? What do you like to read? Like what what are some oh. books you could recommend? Yeah.
1: Oh, I love to read. Um, <laughs> I um, haven't got bored of reading yet. I want to rely on the future. i um, <clears throat> a lot of proofs and things now. Um, I think when you have a book out, people send you lots of proofs, and then you get overwhelmed. Um, but I, so I'm currently reading um, a great uh, story collection by a Welsh writer called Tom Thomas Morris. I don't know if it's available in the in the in the US or if it's coming out in the US, but it's called. Um, open up um and it's really really good the stories are um really funny and, and true um as regards like writers who i feel like have been influential on me um mary gates i am a huge fan mary gateskill i'm a huge laurie Moore fan um i um <laughs> i was telling someone recently the first book i read and i put it off and put it off because i love Delms a little but I uh, I hadn't read Libra by Dante and I was, it was the first book I read after I completely finished this book and mm. I sent it off reading for like, you know, a line edit or whatever. And I was like, I can kind of finally read Libra because, it, you know, if it, it's a fictionalized account of, I didn't want to read something that was like a fictionalized real life thing. And then I read it and I was like, that was the worst book to read after handing in like my own novel because it's so perfect. Um, mm-hmm. And... Another book that I read, I think it's coming out in the US next year, is the novel by Colin Barrett, who's an Irish uh, short story writer, and it's his first novel, it's called Wild Houses, Um, and it's so good, Um, it's fantastic, I I, I loved it. Um, I feel quite spoiled um, Mm -hmm. with the things I've been reading lately.
0: Thank you so much to Nicole for joining the Day Beautiful First Taste reading series to read from her debut novel, Nothing Special. You can follow her on Twitter at Nicole Flattery. Uh, You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. And as always, I'm Adam, this is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful.